you have a Bible, I'm going to ask if you would join me in John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. It'll be a few moments, it'll be a few minutes before we get to John 3, just so you're aware. And this morning's message is just going to be a little bit different than what would normally be shared on a, on a Sunday morning. If you're here for the first time, or maybe the first time in, in, in a long time, and normally we open up to a passage of Scripture and try to deep dive, deep, do a deep dive into what the Holy Spirit would have meant in giving, inspiring the original author and seeing how we can practically apply that to our lives today as we glorify Jesus, who Jesus who is the Word, Jesus who lived out the Word, Jesus who lives uh, within us. But uh, today, just a little bit different. I'm not going to be ignoring Scripture, but actually we'll be using a few different Scriptures uh, for this reason. On uh, Wednesday, I worked most of the day in my office on the, uh, on the message for this morning, believing that I knew exactly the truth that God was leading me to share for the church and worked all day Wednesday and uh, got to the end of the day and just was, man, dissatisfied, just like this is not coming together. And so sometimes I could step away from that and, and spend some time in prayer. I even mentioned to my wife, I'm like, Jamie, this is, man, I worked all day on this and it's not there. And um, so I uh, just removed myself, spent some time in prayer Thursday morning. Um, didn't have as much time, but about half of a day on Thursday was, was working on this and tried to create a different outline. And, and uh, it just, by the end of the day on Thursday, I was, I was really struggling, but uh, this isn't what I, I don't feel any peace about sharing this on, with, with the church on Sunday. Friday is my day off. And so I, I resolved not to work on my sermon on Thursday, on Friday, but there was this weight that was walking around with me like, well, if you don't work on it today, you've only got one day before you have to preach it on Sunday. And so I, I was just telling the Lord, Lord, what, what is it that you want me to share? Why don't I have peace about sharing? Saturday morning, I woke up realizing I knew I was going to have to spend a good portion of the day uh, working on a sermon for, for Sunday and I still was just really kind of struggling on what, uh, what the Lord would want me to share. So I, I woke up on sun, Saturday morning, uh, grabbed my stuff next to the, next to the bed stand where, where I was. I go downstairs, I make coffee like I normally do, sit down with my Bible, grab my devotional, and I grab my phone because right now I'm doing a, a devotional on the Bible app. And so I grabbed my phone, and when I set it down on, on the kitchen table, what popped up were uh, calendar notifications. I had three calendar notifications for yesterday. One was that Brooke Seal was getting married. And so thinking of, of Brooke and so excited that she's getting married. Two, uh, yesterday was the 13-year anniversary of a young lady named Amanda Vigneri, who was in my, the youth group where I got to serve, and she was tragically killed in a skiing accident um, with the youth group uh, 13 years ago yesterday. And just, it's just a, a day that... Uh, Man, I pray for that family, and, and uh, in, in many ways, you know, that I think she would be 30 today, so you could imagine sometimes the thoughts that would go through a parent's mind that, that lost a, a teenage child. But then the third calendar notification was that, hey, yesterday, it's your five-year anniversary at Mount Carmel. You preached your first sermon on January 8th as pastor, 2017. And when I saw that, it was like God was saying, okay. This is why I haven't given you peace. Because you know what I want you to do tomorrow? I want you to talk about the goodness and faithfulness that I have been in your life these past five years 
I want you to celebrate Jesus. And so this morning, I, I'm just going to take a few minutes, and um, I'm sorry, I would love to, to take a deep dive, but I, I really feel like this is what God wants me to do because it, <laughs> I just didn't have a piece about anything until yesterday sitting down and, and being able to share this. Um, I feel like this is where God wants us to go. You know, a majority of the books in the New Testament were written by the Apostle Paul, and, and if you read carefully, uh, he was a man who loved to share his testimony. The testimony that we read in Acts 9 as he was walking uh, down the Damascus Road when Jesus Christ appeared to him, that testimony was something that was huge that he would share regularly. He shared it with the Jews. He shared it with the Gentiles. He shared it with priests. He shared it with kings. He shared it with prisoners. Everywhere the Apostle Paul went, he, he wanted to share what Jesus Christ had done in his life. Some of you in the back of your Bibles, you might find maps that, that show that there were missionary journeys that the Apostle Paul took because not only did he go to proclaim the gospel to unknown lands, but he also went back to some of those churches to see how they were doing after the proclamation of the gospel. In fact, most of the New Testament letters we read are Paul writing to those churches that he either helped plant or that he helped, or that he taught in those churches. And one of the books, and, and where I thought the Lord was taking me initially yesterday was, was the book of 1 Thessalonians, which we're not going to be there. But 1 Thessalonians, if you were ever to get a chance to read it, it's five short chapters. But in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a church, and his love for the people of that church is just, it's, it's so clearly seen. In chapter 1, he, he talks of their work of faith and their labor of love and, 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 and their enduring hope that is all sourced in Jesus. And I love how he says, I see what you do and I know that it's based in your love for Christ. In chapter 2, he, he declares his abounding love for the church and he says, I, I love you like a child. I love you like a nursing mother. I love you like an encouraging father and I love you like a brother. It's just amazing how Paul brings these different types of loves all to share. This is how I love this body. In chapter 3, he commends them for their faithfulness in the midst of suffering and persecution. In chapter 4, he reminds them that they are called to live a holy life. That's why they've been given the Holy Spirit of God. Live a holy life, but also live a life of hope. Because it's in 1 Thessalonians 4 where the Apostle Paul reminds people, and maybe teaches them, that while you grieve, because you are believers, you can grieve like, unlike the people around you. You can grieve as one who has hope. Man, that's been so important to our church in these past two years. We've lost so many loved ones. Those of you, some of you are in here having lost a spouse. Some of you are in here having lost a, a child or, or a parent. And the grief is so real, but the grief comes with, with a hope. Because of Jesus, not that we will just see them again, but that we will go where they are in the presence of our Lord. And in chapter 5, Paul reminds the church that they're, they're called to do more than just take in. Don't just gather and take in, but live out the truth to serve Jesus. And, and again, I, I know that's what I'm, I took the time to share that because I felt like that's exactly where the Lord was taking me. But instead, I, I really just want to, what I would love to do is share with you five verses this morning and five corresponding truths to those verses that help reflect back on the five, these past five years in, in, in my life as a pastor, in our life as a church, and to remind us 
that Jesus is faithful. For those of you who don't know any of my story, I spent my entire life in one church. A Sunday school, a Christian school, youth group, Bible college. I went back to teach at the Christian school where, where I had served. I became the youth pastor of the church and really assumed my entire life would be spent in this one church. As many of you may assume, you've grown up in a church that you'll spend your entire life in. My parents were living there. My wife's parents were living there. Our children were born there. Our friends lived there. Their friends lived there. Every important decision had been made. I had been saved. I had been baptized. I had been the call to ministry. I had been ordained. I had every single thing was, was taking place in this church that I assumed would be home for the rest of my life. But on a Sunday morning in November of 2014, the Lord made it very clear everything's about to change in one simple conversation in our youth group uh, building the lord clearly revealed to me that my time at my home church was coming to an end i told our pastor about it he understood i began to uh, to seek then what god wanted i was i went and interviewed for a job uh, as, as an associate pastor in in the state of ohio not far from where we lived i loved that pastor our, our they were a, a, it's a great ministry, but the Lord made it very clear that's not what I have for you. But then for the next 20 months, I had no idea what that meant. Uh, there was a time where it, it grew very, very frustrating. I was walking around our neighborhood, which was a half mile loop. I would spend every Saturday evening, I would walk around three times just praying to God saying, you've called me, I wanna go open the door. And he wouldn't. It was, a, it was a Sunday morning in late 2016. I came home, probably one of the most discouraged moments of my life. I sat down, and I would not recommend you trying to find God's will this way, but I sat down and I opened Google. And I Googled Baptist churches seeking pastors. That is not how to find God's will. I just really want to, want to tell you that, make that very clear, right? But I was so discouraged. I, I had no idea. I, I had been waiting so long telling God, I'll go whenever you go, but I'm not going to get ahead of you. But come on. Uh, then I sent my resume that night to three different churches. Uh, two of those churches the next morning called me back. One was from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Had a lengthy conversation with a man there and thought that, Thought that conversation went really well. A few, uh, maybe a few hours later, I got a call from a gentleman in Luray, Virginia. Introduced himself as Gordon Demerit, the, uh, the head of the search team for a church called Mount Carmel Regular Baptist Church. Gordon and I talked for probably close to an hour that first time, and it was a great conversation. Went home, told my wife about these two conversations that I had today, and I, I really think that church in Chattanooga is probably going to be the one where they're going to they're going to call us i really do think that i mean the way that that guy was talking and what they were looking for but i never heard from that church again a few days later uh, gordon called me back and a few days later i uh did a facetime call and i remember aaron you were on there because i was wearing a cowboy's shirt and you made some comment about uh my cowboy's uh shirt in redskins territory uh you know and and uh got a chance to to talk with some some folks from the church, and that led to Jamie and I coming out for what was called a silent weekend. And we, first place we were taken, I think was Jay, you and, and Jennifer took us on a, on a horse, uh, 
horseback riding uh, down towards Lake Arrowhead. And if you grew up here, there's, I don't think there's a way you could even come close to understand what was going through my head when we drove into Luray. Like, I, I thought the country meant you didn't live in a subdivision. I never wanted to live in the country, which meant I wasn't going to live in a subdivision. And we came here, and, like, there's nothing. There was nothing here. And I was just like, why would someone choose to live where there's nothing? And, and I'm not being critical. I just, like, that was what was going through my head. I, I remember, and, and, and now I've lived here for five years, driving past Stony Man with those weird metallic sculptures is normal now. But I remember the first time I drove past them, like, what is this? The one-lane bridge over by Willow Grove. Like, can we not get two lanes going here? Already? I mean, this is the year 2000s, right? We know how to engineer two-lane bridges. Um, the, the abandoned chicken houses that were around. I just, I didn't, I was driving around Page County thinking, this is like, it's so foreign to me. And Jamie and I, we met, each, or we met, <laughs> we were together all day, and each evening we got back to the, when we got back to the Mimsland where we were staying, we just kind of looked at each other and said every night, man, these are some of the most incredibly gracious, kind, loving people, but there's no way we're going to live here. And we had settled that. We were going to go home after this silent weekend and um, look for a church in a place that was more comfortable to us. But we came on Sunday morning, and during the early service on Sunday morning, we sat, Jenny, probably right about where you are, uh, right next to Gordon and Lynn, and nobody knew who we were because it wasn't supposed to be public or anything like that. And uh, you all started to sing as Aaron led worship. I just started to weep. Because it was in that moment where the Lord said, this is it for you. And there was a, there was a joy that was like, finally... There was an excitement about seeing what God's will was. And we went back home and brought our, our family here. And these past five years have been absolutely amazing. Um, God's been so good to me and to our family. And I just, just want to celebrate God's grace by, by sharing with you five, five truths, five verses of God's grace in, in my life these past five years. You stay there in John chapter 3, but I want to share with you the first, the first truth is that in these past five years, I've learned that my greatest calling is not about filling a position. It's about following a person, Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, this is what Jesus, this is, this is, this is how we describe Jesus calling his disciples. It says, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, the greatest calling of the disciples in the Gospels is the still the same calling of disciples of Jesus today. Come be with me. Yes, he, he was preparing the disciples to go out and have authority and to preach, but the great calling of these apostles, of these 12 men, was to be with Jesus. It was not to fill, the, fill the, the position of being an apostle. It was to be with a person. And I, I, I'm going to say something that, I, that I, I think 
a portion of the church could listen to it and say, oh, that's, that's so harsh for you to say. I think some of the church can say, I'm so glad that you say that, Pastor, but I love you, Mount Carmel, dearly. But I love Jesus more. And if Jesus were to ever call me away from Mount Carmel, there's not a question of what I would do. I love you. I love serving with you. I love being here. But I'm, and I'm happy to be the pastor of Mount Carmel in Luray, Virginia. But if Jesus were to ever ask me, come, come with me somewhere else, I'm going. Now, if you say, man, I don't like that, pastor. I, I, that's the attitude I had that brought me here. We, we left everything that we knew to come follow Jesus. I didn't come here to be your pastor. I came here to follow a person, the one that loved me so dearly. I wasn't called to a big city. wasn't called to a rural town. I was called to a person. And so are you. In Mark chapter 8, we read, it says, and calling the crowd to him, Jesus, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is the same calling Jesus has to us today. If you follow me, it's, it's, it's not easy. Take up your cross, deny yourself, but follow me, not the money, not the fame, not the position, not the job transfer. Follow Jesus. In, in these past five years, Pastor Mike and Pastor Michael have both been such blessings to me. I, I've never met someone who can take the whole truth of, of the word and connect it to the whole calling we have as people like Pastor Mike. That, that man holistically looks at the Bible and at our word and can, makes connections that sometimes I sit back and go like, well, I could have thought that for the next million years and never come up with that. That is amazing the way God has blessed Pastor Mike that way. Pastor Mike, like he often says to me, and, and maybe the lesson that I think you've taught me the most is that Jesus is the true treasure. You use that so often. And I was, as I was thinking through these through these lessons that I've learned. And in Mark chapter number 10, you know, I'm not going to read it, but in Mark 10, Jesus, a rich man comes to Jesus asking about eternal life. And, and Jesus looks at him with, with love. He looks at him with love and basically says, hey, hey you, let, you only lack one thing here. You go sell all you have. Give it to the poor. You'll get treasure in heaven. Sell all you have and then come follow me. But he, but he walks away because he's a very wealthy man. In complete contrast, Jesus gives uh, two parables in Matthew chapter 13. The first says, Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Remember, Jesus tells this man, go sell all you have and follow me. But here we read, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure. He is not told to. He with joy goes and sells all that he has so that he could come back and buy that field that contains that treasure. But then he goes on and he uses the same idea with another parable. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
to see, do you see the contrast? And in my mind, I've always thought I want to be the guy who sells everything to follow Jesus, abandon it all to follow Jesus. But through these past couple of years, I've come to realize I, I never will be that guy. Something will always grab my heart away from, I will never let go of everything. These parables, they're not describing just how I should live. They're describing how Jesus did live. He looked at me and you as such a great treasure, buried in a field, dirty and muddy. He gave away all that he had so that he could have us to introduce us to a relationship with his father. That's our Jesus. And that's why my calling, my greatest calling is not about filling a position of being your pastor. That may come, that may go. My greatest calling is following a person, the one who abandoned all to make me his treasure. Secondly, the more I know of Jesus, the more my life will be about Jesus and less of self. John chapter three is where I asked you to look. John the Baptist is the man that Jesus described as the greatest born among women, women and he said this upon, about Jesus. John chapter three, verse number 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. I grew up in a church that had an auditorium that seated 7,500 people. There was a time in my life, just a, just a short period of time in my life, when summers were filled with regularly traveling to camps and conferences of other youth groups. It was a time for about six years when I had the chance to lead an annual youth conference at our church that brought in thousands of teenagers and hundreds of youth workers, and I reveled in the fact that my name and my face were on flyers and mailers. I wanted to be on the stage. But growing to love Jesus more and more has made me realize that I was doing ministry so that I would be known, not Jesus. I was teaching and preaching the Bible, but I was living to, to make ministry about me. And, and the Lord began chipping away at my heart and showing me my, my pride. And I am still a work in progress in this area. But I tell you, I find I revel in making much of Jesus today. I want to be what John says here. Nothing. He, mu he must, I must decrease. He must increase it. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, my life is hid in Christ. That's what I, that's what I desire so dearly. That's why the more that we know of Jesus, the more our lives will be about Jesus and less of self. Thirdly, Jesus is worthy of my full trust in his perfect timing and in his sovereign work in my life. 
two verses I'm about to share with you have meant more and more to me these past five years as I've come as I came to 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 Mount Carmel not realizing that there was a there was a hole there was a a disconnect in my my full understanding of, of of how the gospel should shape my life and there were moments as that hole was filled and as the connections were made through many of you helping and teaching and through just learning more and more about Jesus where I would begin to ask questions like, why didn't I know that? Why did it take me over 40 years to fill in that gap, to make that connection? I've been serving the Lord full time for 25 years. Why has it taken so long? But I, I remember the moment I was sitting at my kitchen table here in Luray, and I came across Galatians 1, where the Apostle Paul said this. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul goes on to tell a little bit about his life, but what jumped out to me is Paul was set, he he recognizes I was set apart before I was born. I would be called to preach this message to the Gentiles. But as Paul looks back over his life, he, he grew up at, he didn't grow up as understanding who Jesus was. He grew up in the very Jewish tradition It was all about the synagogue and it was all about the law and it was all about the obedience to the law. And Paul never looked back at his life and said, what a waste. He looked back at his life and says, I see everything God was doing because while while God was calling Paul to be a preacher to the Gentiles, every town that Paul went into with this message for the Gentiles, he went to the synagogue first. And he spoke to those Jews who didn't know Jesus. Yes, his life was being given uh, to, to teach and preach among the Gentiles, but he had the opportunity to connect the hearts of Jews who loved Jehovah, but did not believe or know Jesus as God's son. He could bring that connection to them. And I tell you, I don't know that I have a greater excitement in my life than getting to share with with people who grew up in a a similar environment to to where I grew up in, and not a bad environment, but just one that left a short disconnect, left a, a little hole, and we get to talk about the goodness of Jesus in fresh, new, exciting ways. And, and there was a moment in my life where I used to say, ah, God, how come? And now it's, now it's like, God, I'm so glad your sovereign work in my life has brought me to the point where I'm at because I find great joy in sharing Jesus with people who know Jesus well, who are still trying to search Jesus, search for Jesus, and have never been introduced to him. It is such a joy to talk about Jesus. But I know it was his sovereign plan and grace in my life to bring me to this point. That's why I've learned to trust his perfect timing and sovereign work. Four, my life's greatest work is believing in Jesus the Christ and in his completed work. 
A few years ago, Frank, I don't know if you remember this, but Frank Good came up to me after church and Pastor uh, Frank Good was a pastor. And so there's, there's times that we share after, um, after a service and, and, and he'll go in a, in a way that no one else, that sometimes people will come and say, good sermon, appreciate the truth, thanks pastor. And he'll come up and, and we'll talk a little bit, a little bit more theological. He walked up to me one Sunday and says, you really like 2 Corinthians 5.21, don't you? And I do. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse has become so important to me because I realized for much of my life, I was trying to find my own righteousness. This verse hit me square in the eyes, realizing not only did Jesus die to offer the forgiveness of my sins, but he also, he also offered me through his life, his perfect work and obedience to God on my behalf. And that th this verse is sometimes referred to as the great exchange where Jesus takes my sin, but he doesn't just take my sin. He hands me, he offers, he clothes me in his righteousness. And when I trust in Jesus, I'm not just trusting to remove my sin, but to give me his work, perfect work of righteousness. Yes, we're called to works of righteousness. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that. Romans 6 reminds us we're not called to live a life of sin just because we have grace. James says that faith without works is dead. John reminds us that you have to live out the eternal life by being the light of the world and, and by loving people the way Jesus offers to. But the beauty of this verse is what we're called to do. We're not called to do alone and we're not called to do under our own power. And when we fail, and we will, <laughs> Jesus has already exchanged his perfect righteousness to us, taken our failures upon himself, having paid the penalty. And when the Father looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees Jesus, because I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. Last Daily beholding the person and work of Jesus is how true, transforming, and lasting change takes place. So a few years ago, I did a short devotional on the Bible app, and it's called Removing the Veil from Your Bible. And eventually shared, a, eventually led me into to a deeper study, and, and I shared with the church a, a series during the, during the pandemic last year of, of just seeing Jesus in the Scriptures and it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That phrase, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. It's very easy for us, and probably some of you have heard the Bible refer to the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. You know what that does? That centers the word on us. This is his story. It's his overarching, beautifully dramatic story of how we left in rebellion and how he pursued in love. And we get to read 
his story. And as we are look and as we look at his story, our story changes. We we have to come to this realization, and I've I've had to for myself, we don't we don't change as Christians because we try to change. We're transformed. Our hearts are transformed by the work of God as we gaze into the person and into the work of Jesus. And the more we behold, the more we become. The more we look at Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. And nothing else in the world looks like that. You lift weights. You go on a diet and exercise. You, you run on treadmills. We don't just look at bodybuilders. We don't just look at fitness coaches and become more like them. But when it comes to the spiritual work of Jesus, we don't change ourselves. He transforms us when we behold the person of Christ and his work on our behalf. And that's why if you don't choose to daily gaze into this word this year, you will spiritually change, but not for the better. Because whatever we look at is what we are going to start becoming. And the world wants our attention so much. Oh, but may I encourage you, look at Jesus in the word. When you read the Old Testament, try to find Jesus. As you read the gospels, revel in the person of Jesus. As you read the letters that point us to how to live out who Jesus is. Continue to remind yourself who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you. And I don't know what the next five years of my life hold. And I'm not worried about it. I'm following the one who loves me. And I'll do my best, church, and I know I'm going to fail. I'll do my best to continue to point our hearts to Jesus. Because... These five truths that I shared with you today are five truths that I want to continue to see work in my life to know that our greatest calling as a church is to follow Jesus, to make our lives all about Jesus, to even in the midst of difficulty, to trust the timing and the plan of Jesus as we rejoice in the completed works of Jesus because we daily remind ourselves as we look into the glory of Jesus. Thank you for putting up with me for the last five years. It's been a joy and a blessing. And I want to be a church that lives out just Jesus, only Jesus. And so I, I've asked um, Tom League. Tom, is, uh, Tom was, meant, was supposed to get baptized last week, but he was not feeling well last week. I asked Tom if we could kind of close out uh, our service today with his baptism. Um, Tom and I have become very good friends over these past few years. And Tom's got a testimony that his wife, Lisa, is going to read in just a few moments. Uh, Tom, if you want to get up, you can go ahead and, and, and get changed. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray together. And I would ask, and I, I know um, it, it might be time, people thinking, oh, this church is over. Let, let's, let's close today. Uh, rejoicing in the work that Jesus continues to do among us. And so, Aaron, I'm going to pray. And would you mind coming up and, and, and leading us in the, I forgot the, the last song, the very last song we sang. Yeah, Christ, our sure and steady anchor. That, that's, that's what we need. Would you, would you um, pray with me? And then would you, would you sing this song? As, as, and then would you celebrate 
uh, what Jesus continues to do in our hearts today. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the way that you you have changed my life so incredibly these past five years. I know you've done it through the work of the Spirit. I know you've done it through the power of your word. Oh Lord, I know that you have used these wonderful men and ladies, these brothers and sisters in Christ that sit before me. You have used them in, in my life to show me more about you. Lord, I had no idea what, what would be awaiting us when our family came here in January of 2017. But you've shown yourself so faithful. Lord, I'm not worried about what holds, what's taken place, what, what is going to take place as we look five years ahead to 2027. I, each day will care for itself as we simply follow you. Oh Lord, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for this body that you have allowed us to become planted in. For this fellowship of believers that as we gather regularly to open your word, we rejoice in you. And we, we live out a life that's not, not overly concerned, God, about what everyone else in the world thinks, but Lord, fully focused on, on what you think of us what you desire for us. Well, we just thank you for being the treasure that you are. The way you have looked at our muddy selves and you have sold and given all in order to, to draw us unto yourself and make us your treasure. And though we look forward to what you'll continue to do in our hearts as we each individually follow Jesus. I thank you for who you are, who you continue to be, how we each in our own separate needs and our own separate desires in so many ways, Lord, we can look to you to find all the fulfillment. I love just to hear those words that you are our sure and steady anchor. Thank you for being who you are to, our, to hold us tightly, to grip us. Lord, when, when we are uncertain and unsure of of what awaits us. Thank you for being the God that allows us to find our security in who you are and in what you have done for us. And may we continue to be a church that makes it all about Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.